Jesus. Glory. Love you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise Yahweh. Worship Him. With all your spirit, soul, mind, and strength, give Him praise. Give Him thanks. <clears throat> and the accuser of the brethren who accused the saints night and day was thrown down God's been speaking that to me all this year you know what sanctification is guys the imperfect parts of your soul getting cut out by the sword of the spirit all of you are going through sanctification except of course the self-righteous ones oh, yeah. who are already perfect that don't need sanctification just on the sidelines judging as stuff's getting cut off through those getting sanctified called the bride of Christ the false brides they're judging the very sin and unrighteousness and pride and lust that's getting cut out of the souls, the hearts and the minds of those going through sanctification. Sanctification is the carving out of the interior castle and all of its contents. That's what being made more undignified than this is. You know how easy it is to be a self-righteous Pharisee and sit there in the sidelines in self-righteousness and judge those getting sanctified over the years? <clears throat> you understand that's what makes you false brethren? That's what makes you the children of the accuser of the brethren? Is if you don't go under the knife and have the same sins cut out of you. Romans chapter 2 says, Oh, you foolish man, don't you know when you judge others, you do the same sins in your souls. You understand the Bible declares the self-righteousness, the hypocritical people, when they judge, 
when they're not in the process of sanctification, that sin is in their souls. Jesus called it plank and speck in the eyes. He called them foolish hypocrites because some people, like Peter, like Paul, is there an apostle in the New Testament that doesn't have their shortcomings exposed in eternal scripture? Peter is called a hypocrite in Paul's Bible. Okay? In the Word. Peter, the great apostle Peter, the rock in which I build my church, it is written. Paul's calling him names. In his Bible. It's his Bible. He wrote it. By the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost gave him books of the Bible. That's why they called the Bible in Jesus' day Moses. It says in Moses, God gave the Bible, it's Moses' Bible, it's Paul's Bible, and it says those things in Scripture. The problem is the religious spirit is totally deceiving the unsanctified parts of you. We're jumping right into it tonight, aren't we? I like the priest said stuff needs to die. Praise murderer Moses. What we need to do is deal with the self-righteousness. You know, we've been warring and pioneering apostolic prophetic ministry since 2006. And the easiest thing to do when you're not in the heat of the battle is judge the battle. You weren't there! You weren't even there! You sit there as a spectator and judge! Oh man, that's that's the Vietnam coming up. That's Vietnam right there. <laughs> I'll get you drunk. When you're there in the heat of battle, you know, I was watching Apocalypse Now on Netflix. Lord have mercy. I like watching Vietnam movies. And it's, it's talking about accusing someone of murder in Vietnam. I mean, it was, was like jaywalking in America. It was the equivalent of jaywalking because it was just total chaos. And they're killing everyone. They're killing their own troops sometimes. They're wearing necklaces of ears. I mean, it was wild, man. Vietnam was a wild, wild war. Really wild. And so in that movie, the Holy Spirit highlighted me. When you're in the heat of battle, accusing someone in the heat of battle of something is the equivalency of, like, jaywalking. You clean it up in the hospital after you have the wounds and the scars, but if you're just there staying clean in the hospital tent, woo, you're in the tent of the devil, man. You got to get out there and get some battle wounds on you, get some scars on you, and let those scars turn gold, and you don't have any battle experience. The problem is you come in with the false Christian mindset of saying, of keeping clean, and refraining from conflict, <laughs> confrontation, wrestling principalities. How many of y'all know you can't wrestle the principality without it touching you? Amen. But after you win, you get healed everywhere the principality touched you. The Bible says we wrestle principalities, which means you get touched. You will get the principality on you if you're doing anything to advance the kingdom. The ones doing nothing judge the principality on the one wrestling it. 
I've wrestled so many principalities in public ministry. You could sit out there and look at all the debris and stuff on me from wrestling principalities and say, that's Brandon. It's not. It's the devil that I've been wrestling and we're always victorious. Does it get on you? Of course it does. That's what wrestling is. If you haven't wrestled, it's so easy just to say, because you don't judge and discern correctly in the invisible realm. I can't tell the difference between the apostolic and the principality. You know why? You weren't there! You weren't even there! Truth, anyhow. So the spectator's sport of sitting there with specks and planks in your eyes needs to get burned out of your eye sockets. You need a baptism of humility. Woo! The m- most important thing is to support those wrestling. And if you join in with the enemy as a spectator, criticizing, oh, hallelujah, they get involved in yoke to demons. That's what happens to people. The temptation is to judge those doing something in the kingdom. The ones not doing anything, the temptation, most of these people that are accusing me right now, they're out there. There's no obedience, (laughs) total demon possession, and I'm not here as a defense attorney. I'm here to destroy the works of the devil. Big difference. I am clean in my conscience before God and all the angels. I've never been cleaner in all my sanctified soul than today right now. We have always made forward progress in the gospel. Our heart is set ablaze on holiness, righteousness, and peace in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is my best friend. He's always backed me up. But these accusers, these evil demon-possessed liars, they'll do anything to harm the spiritual leaders through character assassination. You have noticed this in every previous revival. The devil's attempts is to so destroy the public viewpoint of the leader's character that no one will follow the one God's anointed. Because God's ways are that he pours out his anointing onto David, on an apostle Paul, and if he can get everyone to slander them, it shuts down the whole revival. And so since Paul and David are not perfect men, but are men after God's own heart, you can stick to that devil by judgments in your mind, like Saul's daughter. Saul's daughter in the Bible represents those who don't get free of self-righteousness. And that is some of you in RLM that have no freedom from self-righteousness, that your righteousness is only in the soul, which is in the self, which is bondage. And we want you to be set free. Every person who's ever come into this ministry, I have sincerely tried with my whole heart to serve them and help them in the gospel to build up their spirit. Often sacrificing thousands of dollars for some of these saints that have only turned on me because they rejected sanctification. The turning point I've watched is that they choose soul instead of being slain with Christ in spirit. And each and every one that has rejected sanctification with knowledge, 
has betrayed me severely, but they haven't betrayed me. They've betrayed Jesus Christ. They have turned against the Holy Spirit. These people are not fighting me. You have to go way back to get any dirt on me. We've been in sanctification deep in the Holy of Holies a long time. But the enemy is so desperate to slander and accuse the character of God's anointed leaders in this revival, to try to shut it down more than ever before. And he brings all this stuff without context, all this stuff from a wounded demon's perspective. How many of y'all know the demons are wounded since they fell out of heaven? The demons are bitter because they can't be saved and no salvation is offered the demons, the Bible says. They shall never be saved. So they are bitter and they are angry and they're trying to make everyone bitter and angry by whatever means necessary. And it works usually through immature believers. Immature infants in Christ who are soulish, which is the house of unclean spirits, you make room for the slander and the gossip of the demons. Oftentimes just trying to be a good Christian. You don't need to be a good Christian. You need to be crucified with Christ. Christ is your goodness. And the appearance of good is what causes the fall. Amen. You're at war against the appearance of good. That's what all of this is. They're trying to destroy the appearance so that the entire message is rejected and questioned. They did it towards every apostle who's ever lived. And because of a lack of church history and a lack of wisdom throughout the ages, it often works in the young believers. This is why Satan relentlessly attacks anyone who comes into Red Letter Ministries. And every single one of you know about that. And you have to understand it's because he's trying to shut down the progress you could make if you go deeper in your spirit and sacrifice your souls. He can only speak to the soul because he's locked in that dimension of judgment. That dimension was given as a dimension of judgment from God the Father to the fallen angels in the Bible. And that dimension is the soul realm of man and woman. Woman's soul was created down below. That's what the fall is. Soul is woman created below. That's what being from below is. Truth and yeah, that's why she's called a woman in Revelation. Not my opinion, not sexism, prophetic. Prophetic ministry. There's no male or female in Christ. The woman mentioned is the soul created below, which is the kingdom of hell. And the kingdom of hell's tactics towards believers is in the appearance of good. Hear what the Spirit says to your spirit. Listen with the ears of your spirit. God is going to destroy the appearance of good. That's what causes confusion. And they looked upon that tree and saw that it was good in appearance. Good in appearance is the temptation of the angels of light that deceive. It's people pleasing. That's what the Antichrist uses. And if the soul is not annihilated through crucifixion and constant sanctification of cutting out your own pride, of cutting out your pride for years and years and years and years, you are susceptible 
susceptible to the people-pleasing knowledge of good, and that is where the bride of Christ is today in her infancy, not in maturity. Christ is your maturity. Christ only rises through the cutting out of sin in your hearts. You see, this is why people turn against prophets, because Jesus is the only clean one here. But there's something clean about you, and you can judge those that are getting clean by the sword. You know, that's what the vulnerability of public <laughs> ministry is. And you know that if you have any experience, if you have any experience, you know what the enemy uses as dirt against God's people. The Bible says that he accused saints. How are you a saint? Through sanctification. So what is the accusation of the accuser of the brethren? The debris from sanctification. You have to go through it. The threshing floor of Ruth. You have to go through it to get to Jesus Christ. Boaz. The temper, the pillar of Solomon's temple was Boaz, Ruth's husband, and she could only be married to Christ, who represents Boaz, through the threshing floor. What gets threshed? All the debris that comes off the floor, and your heart is what gets threshed, and your mind is what gets threshed. And the stuff that comes out of the threshing floor is all sin. Do you understand? That's what Satan uses against the saints. How do you know if you're a son and daughter of Satan? You use the chaff that made room for more wheat in your hearts. The debris from the threshing floor is outside the kingdom realm. And the accuser and the sons and daughters of the accuser use that stuff from the threshing floor to accuse the character of those being sanctified night and day. That's what they do. But we don't care about what people think. You cannot please the eyes of the animals. Amen. (laughs) See, God loves you. He will train you in this stuff. And you need training. You need annihilating. You need sanctification, says the Lord, from self-righteousness. This is pride. The pride in our hearts is severe. And not just your heart, all our hearts. Because this threshing floor goes through all hearts. It goes around in a wheel, a threshing floor. You have an ox yoked to a center wheel that turns in circles. And that circle is the human heart. Every believer is continuously threshed in the heart. And those are the only true brethren of Jesus Christ. Everyone else hasn't even said yes to sanctification. That's why externally they have the appearance of good there's no mess there's no public undignified like king david there's no davidic anointing on their life unless you're undignified how publicly if you are not undignified publicly you have yet to come upon the threshing floor. That's true. Because everyone can look around and they can see that work of the Holy Ghost. What they look at is the realm of the natural, of the bad stuff getting chopped off of you as Jesus rises in you, which is called growing in Christ. How many of y'all know to grow in Christ, the stuff in you that's not Christ has to constantly come out? I've driven sin and demons out of all of you because I like you and I love you. 
Some of you have thrown up demons. You have vomited. You have puked. All kinds of terrible evil spirits, sorcery spirits, witchcraft spirits, Jezebel spirits, pride spirits, lust spirits. We go through this threshing floor to deliver one another. These are the true brothers and sisters of the anointing. The ones that help each other be sanctified on the threshing floor. The evidence of a bride of Christ, someone married to the Holy Ghost, a real bride of Christ, is this mess made through sanctification on the threshing floor. It's a mess. You know, the false ones, they're out there just trying to look clean. Remember the Pharisees? That's what Jesus said about them. You look clean outwardly. The cleanliness of appearance is the evidence of an anti-Christ Christian. If you don't think Satan's involved in appearance Christianity, buddy, you're in it. You're in it right now. You are in the cult of satanic Christianity. If you are about appearances of good, you are engrafted into the tree of knowledge that caused Eve, your mother, to die. That's how she died. That's how her soul was formed below. The first witch. And God had mercy on her for her angel to go to heaven. Why? Because they were clueless, guys. They didn't have revelation. That's why we're redeemable. Because of how dull we are. You're so smart, but the Bible says to the apostles in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are you still so slow and dull? How many times did Jesus call the apostles dull? It's because of our dullness that we get mercy and grace. But when you're so smart and so perfect, you don't get any mercy and grace because you don't think you're dull. Because you're sharp in the fallen angels. There's a sharpness and intelligence and a genius of the devil, which is that religion in them. That self-righteousness is the sharpness of Satan in you. And that's what's being cut out. And so you can just bring it right to the cross. All of us need to die more. You know, the measure of your priesthood is the size of your cross of how much your soul has been slain of all the world and sin and Satan, which is not a one-time deal, as the false teachers say, that I'm perfect at birth. You're a liar. You don't need teachers if you're perfect at birth. You need assassins. One to get you saved, another one to blow your head off so you can go to heaven because you're already perfect. You don't need to do anything because you're just so perfect. This is how deceived these Christians are. The ones that reject the teaching of the sanctifying prophetic word, they're in the self-righteousness of the devil. This is how you get twice dead. You know who we're dealing with? and the ugliness of Christian civil war. I'll tell you who we're dealing with. We're dealing with a people that are twice dead. Twice dead is not something often taught in Christianity, but Jude talks about it. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it in Hebrews. Peter talks about it in his epistles. Jude the apostle talks about it in Jude. It's mostly about false brethren in Jude. The judgment is for the false brethren, the satanic Christians. We're talking about 
people coming in the guise of brothers and sisters that reject sanctification. Do you understand? That's the definition of being false brethren. Amen. That's how you become twice dead. You get born again and then say no to the threshing floor. Now you're twice dead. The Bible teaches you're better off not getting born again than getting born again and rejecting sanctification and clinging to the pride and self-righteousness of the angels of light. You understand that's what we're wrestling against in this wicked and adulterous generation? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yes. What's wicked? Everything in the soul is wicked in this adulterous generation. Everything. But for the religious, there's something still good in their soul. That's the <laughs> appearance of good of the devil in you. Yeah. You have the devil in you. Yeah. And we're going to cut it out. Yeah. And since you're so married to the devil, it will be painful in your divorce from the devil. Because you're so closely united and married to the fallen angels, the self-righteous spirits, the pride and religious spirits, the appearance spirits. What did Solomon say in his great wisdom? Vanity, vanity, chasing after the wind. You understand they're chasing after wind. Angels of light that are winds. What does this Bible say? Every wind of doctrine. What's a wind of doctrine? versus the water of doctrine. Doctrine just meaning teaching in this instance. Because most doctrine is just theology, soulish Christian reasoning from the devil anyhow. What we need is to get out of the wind. And we need to get into the water. And the water is the place where you get undignified. This water almost tempts you into Christ's righteousness. It's like putting candy out before an electric chair. Come here, little kitties. Come sit up. Oh, God. God's will for my life, total annihilation through threshing. Isaiah called his sanctification a threshing sledge with teeth. The teeth of the sledge that threshes. Can you imagine knowing God, God's teeth going and grinding through your hearts? That's what the Word of God is. Every prophet or saved person that embraced sanctification knew it. This is why we're so severe on pride and religion and self-righteousness, because that's what the Antichrist and the curse of the fall is. If we didn't attack it, we'd be false teachers of soulishness. This is what deceives the whole world. What's potent sorcery? Do you understand? Potent sorcery is self-righteousness of looking good in front of unbelievers. Spouse pleasing. You know, spouse pleasing is the pleasing of the devil. That's right. People pleasing. What does Galatians 1 say? I could be no servant of Christ if I pleased man. If I pleased the eyes of man, the apostle says in Galatians 1, I could not be a Christian, a servant of Christ. You cannot be a Christian if you please your spouse. You need to please the God who created your spouse and become a God pleaser much more thoroughly. Hallelujah. We promote the threshing floor. We promote everything in you. Get burnt up. We need the teeth. A, a sharper thresh. Who will receive it? Who will grow in salvation? Salvation ain't a one-time thing. It's a growing 
through threshing. Amen. You get saved in your spirit. We're happy about that. We celebrate that with the angels as angels. Angel-like children of the resurrection because now we bring you into sanctification. Do you understand that those who die in the wilderness die because of rejecting sanctification? In the Moses' testimony, for your wisdom, sanctification was going up the mountain. Amen. If you did not go up the mountain, you died in the wilderness. <laughs> going up the mountain in the new covenant is Zion, the Holy Spirit within. The Holy Spirit mountain within is Calvary and Zion, same exact thing. It's the measure that your own cross has risen in your own spirit to crucify your own heart. <clears throat> Who's crucifying their heart? Those climbing Zion. See, the heart doesn't have anything good in it, the Bible says. The reason why the demon is able to discourage some of you, because you're looking for divinity in the wrong dimension. This dimension doesn't have divinity in it, except the cross rise in it. So your constant encouragement can never be an appearance of good. I, what does the apostle say in the Bible? I know that nothing good lives in my flesh. That's Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul confesses his weaknesses, a thorn in the flesh, and Galatians 4, at first in my apostolic ministry, I preached to you in the infirmity of the flesh. He says when he started out after 17 years of sanctification in Arabia, he was still a carnal teacher, but he got a hold of the Spirit quickly through beating, scourgings, and the marks of Christ in his body, it was beaten out of him to be a spiritual teacher. But he wasn't a spiritual teacher at the first by his own confession. See, if you confess your weaknesses before others, God will promote you before others. But if you try to have an appearance before others of having it all together, you'll be demoted by God because of your self-righteousness before others. On Judgment Day, you will be fully exposed as hypocrites. So that's why we grow in humility. Humility is the exposure of your own soul as an animal. <clears throat> Not practicing the sin of the animal, filleting and butchering the sin of the animal, because that's all that exists inside the beast. But if you're ignorant of your own beast nature and your Christianity is based on being a good beast, your whole life's filled with Satan. Your whole Christianity is self-righteousness of the fallen angels. You've never known real Christianity. See, that's what we're dealing with. The appearance of Christianity. The appearance of good within the covenant religion is the teachings and the ministries of the Antichrist. And you've all been exposed to it. Some of it's still in you. And that's why you care about the appearance of good in heart and mind. If you have revelation, you know that dimension doesn't have anything divine in it. That's what deception is. Deception is that woman soul who claims to be inspired. It's the soul claiming goodness. It's the soul claiming inspiration that is Jezebel, the principality of Christianity. There's a principality assigned to false Christianity. And it's all soul. Soul is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you'll not find one drop of divinity there. Not one. 
That is the measure you're still currently deceived. And the sword of the Spirit wants to cut it out of you. There's a part of you that has God in it. The Bible says you're born with the Godhead and made full. There's a part of you that's full. That's the part we want to attach your brain to. When the brain is not attached to the full part, and it's attached to the heart part, and not the spirit part, it's constantly judging self unrighteously. You need forgiveness from unrighteous judgment towards your soul. Because this is a part of you that only has unrighteousness in you. Do you understand maturity is growing in grace, the Bible says? Growing in grace is Jesus rising through total filth. Total filth. And you know what a self-righteous hypocrite is? Someone who's not circumcised their heart to see there's only filth in a Christian's heart. These people have good hearts. You know what a good heart is? A satanic believer. It's true. That's really what we're dealing with, guys. We're dealing with the satanic form of Christianity. You talk about the death cult out there. No, it's the death cult in here. It's the death cult in church. It's the Luciferianism of self-righteousness in the heart inside Christian churches that needs to be dealt with first, the Bible says. Judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment begins amongst the believers. What needs to be judged? All of our souls. Unless our souls are judged to the point of annihilation, your soul won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. You'll have second heaven's false revelations, false dreams. You know the false prophetic? Lying signs and wonders. Dreams, visions, signs and wonders. And when the soul is not annihilated, the charismatic voodoo, the charismatic witchcraft, there's witch doctors in Africa that raise the dead. There's witch doctors in Africa that walk on water. They do similar stuff as the apostles. You're surrounded by witches. That's what Babylon is. Babylon means witchcraft. How will you know if it's witchy? Threshing floor or not, simple as that. God, God has one way to deal with all this junk. It's not confusing. It's called the cross. Simple. An instrument of death called the baptism of death in the, in the scriptures. It's a foreign substance to most charismatic believers today. Most charismatic believers live in a charisma in the soul. Very, very young in the Lord. Much younger than we think we are. Many of these so-called apostles that have true apostolic callings are still extremely soulish and extremely into appearances. Our freedom is not the level of heaven. We need freedom through the baptism of death to the part of us that can't produce divinity. Do you understand? Deception is looking into a dimension that can't produce good fruit. There's a dimension that can produce good fruit. That's the dimension you're commanded to keep your eyes fixed on. Jesus dimension. The dimension of Christ in you. How do we get our eyes of our brain, the renewing of our mind, into that dimension? Through the sword. That's what the circumcision of the heart that's practically unknown in Christianity today does. The circumcision of the heart is the ability to put the mind in a vision of the spirit. And when you're circumcised of heart, your mind now can look into God, can look into the kingdom. 
And so you're not looking at all the stuff getting butchered off of you and bur butchered off others. That's the progress of the priesthood. You understand the priesthood is just killing animals? The Bible says that's all the priests do. The priests in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, New Testament were the animal. That's what the Bible says. The beast is on the forehead. The animal is written on the forehead. The renewing of the mind. The animal mind. The carnal minded wars against the spirit. And we all have measures of that animal that has yet to know the priesthood sword to be sacrificed in a greater fire and a greater spiritual glory. And as it happens, you awaken to the fullness, the part of you that's made full, the part of you that can't be deceived. It's usually buried under 33 degrees of fallen angel pride. Some people have attacked their heart because they have a little revelation sanctification. Not much. This is pretty rare in 21st century Christianity. Very, pretty rare to find a people that understand the internal plumbing of the New Covenant temple of the body, where it's like trying to go into the inner court. We're good in the inner court of our own heart. How many of y'all know the inner court gets the reflection from the holy place? It was the overflow room. It's, it's far. It seems real close, but in the spirit, it's very far away. It's very far from God. It's far from understanding the light of God, the knowledge of the glory of God, the process of the throne of God, the angels of the cherubim of God. It's far. The heart is far from God, and it's the sword that brings the mind close to that dimension. So all you have to do is keep receiving the sword to grow at the expense of all the deception of all the world in all human hearts combined. We think just because we believe in Jesus, maybe my heart is better. No, if you re resist sanctification, it's just as evil as an unbeliever because it's human, it's human blood. A lot of times it's more wicked because you think it's good. Now it's a self-righteous heart of the Pharisees. God is not interested in making your heart look good. God's heart is in Jesus Christ, who already looks good. We're not cleaning you up. We're crucifying you up with him so his goodness, his perfection can come through the cutting and the peeling back of your flesh to reveal him within your spirit. Real Christianity called the bright morning star. You'll never be the bright morning star. No, the Bible says I will give them the morning star for those that overcome what? Overcome the self-righteousness and the appearance of good, which is the curse of the fall in the heart. Oh, hallelujah. This is what we need today. This is what everyone needs. More of a cutting of the heart, more of a peeling back of hypocrisy, of unrighteous judgment. You know, Jesus Christ never judged by his eyes. Try to find a Christian that doesn't judge with eyes. What would they think? What would they say? I might be embarrassed. Well, you can't be a disciple and not get embarrassed. Yeah. It's called getting undignified, and I shall become more undignified than this, and I think that I will be more undone. Oh. Respectability is a principality of serving the knowledge of good. Yeah. Can you, do you care about the appearances of unbelievers? Or do you care about what the Holy Spirit thinks? Who do you live your life before? We live our life before the eyes of God. The Bible says the eyes of God were sent into all the earth. Let's read it. 
<laughs> oh, good. I got an Uber Eats coupon. All right. Nice. Cool. 10%. 30. Nice. Oh, yeah, look, look out. Oh, man. Favor. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's get into my favorite amplified classic Revelation of Jesus Christ, which is all the revealing of Christ within the Spirit, which obviously then reveals what's in the heart. Glory. You know, the more undignified you get publicly, the greater the greater your leadership can be publicly. But the more appearance of good you have publicly, the lesser the rank you are in the kingdom of heaven. This is why they thrashed on the public stage. You know how easy it is to just take care of all of it secretly and never, not be vulnerable and just, you know, be externally perfect. These are all the false ministers out there. These are all the fake ones that are always looking good. None, none of their laundry is ever aired out publicly. You know, it's the, the process is wild. It's a childbirth. When you birth a divine child, there's body parts coming out. Body parts! There's umbilical cords flying around. There's blood, fire, and billows of smoke. There's birthing of the divine child. That means everything that's not the divine child got pushed out before the child came out. That's the price you pay for the anointing. Most of you have not paid that price because of people pleasing. That's true. You have to pay that price. You cannot serve the eyes of Horus. You must serve the eyes of the Spirit. If you are serving the Spirit, their judgments don't even do anything against you. You're not losing anything by looking bad in the eyes of the animals. Because that's Satan. I mean, you're... You're wanting to please the devil. You understand that that's the temptation. It looks like men and women, but the Bible says the pleasing of men and women is the pleasing of the fallen angels. Do you have a ministry to the fallen angels? Or do you have a ministry to the seven eyes? You know, what is your Christianity? Is your Christianity about serving the Holy Ghost at the expense of respectability? That's the only way you get the anointing. Do you see any other person in the New Testament getting the anointing any other way? No. You have to get the anointing at the expense of the animal getting burnt up. Your problem is you're still trying to clean up the animal. The appearance of the animal, like that's important. That's devil-pleasing, guys. That's devil worship. Devil worship Christianity everywhere. It's not okay. It's not okay. You know what's okay? To just get free. To just be a mess. There is, what's the threshing floor? Just be the mess you are. It's okay to be messed up. It's not okay to serve the devil to attack those getting messed up on the threshing floor, but it's wonderful to be there. This is volunteers in the day of his power. What's the power for? Butchering you, crucifying you with Christ. That's how you share in his power when you share in the cross. The cross is the altar of the animal part of you. You all have a cross. You all have the ability to just get a, a royal mess, but you know, I might be cut out of my parents' will. Oh, oh no. 
you know, my, my siblings might not think that I'm a real Christian. They might think I'm an occult. <laughs> they said the same things about every disciple in Matthew chapter 5. This is the price you pay. Respectability of the animal, which is demons, or respectability before the heavenly Sanhedrin with the holy angels. Your choice, guys. And the issue is you're going to be a mess in either kingdom. Just one is total deception, faking it, hypocrites. The other one is, I'm a mess before God. I'm God's mess. Amen? What do you think the threshing floor is? Clean stables means no harvest, Proverbs writes. Oh, come on. If it's all clean, prim, and proper in order, that means you've never done anything in the kingdom. The fact that you're a mess and messed up means that you're doing something in the kingdom and the enemy is trying to hurt your feelings and turn you against the process of the threshing floor because of the temptation of Eve, the woman's soul below, which is appearances of good. You can't have sanctification and the appearance of good both. You love one, despise the other. I hate the appearance of good. That's why I dress like a clown every day. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. That's why we're wild and obnoxious on purpose yeah. in the spirit by the anointing. The anointing does wild stuff through us because we're attacking the curse of the fall, Amen. which is the appearance of good for the goodness of God. You know what God's goodness is? Wrecking you. Yeah. Getting wrecked. Y'all just need to get wrecked. There's wine out there to get wrecked on. We have expectations on ourselves, yokes, that aren't from God. God knows you're not capable of anything good. You think God's deceived? Do you think God's a religious spirit? God knows there's no goodness in man. That's why God sent God to die on the cross as God. God had to send God for us. The Son of God sent by Father God because man doesn't have any goodness. You understand that? Deception is man's goodness. How good do you think man can get through Christianity is the measure of fallen angel influence in your lives right now. That's a lot of devils. But you know what? The cross is still there. God's not impressed or worried about it. Why? Because it's all just deception. It's all an animal sacrifice. The whole lump sum of it. Flesh, bones, blood, soul, heart, mind, will, emotions, all of it is the burnt offering. Which means you just get a revelation of the burning of the Spirit of God and how He embraces and accepts the whole soul and He just come willing to the fire to burn the whole mess of it. See, it's the fire coming through us that's our protection. The measure of fire that's burning the animal in us is how sanctified we are. Fire doesn't burn anything good. The fire is the goodness. Fire only burns man's badness. Man's pride, man's lust. And everyone has the same measure. Some are just in denial. Some of them are trying to patch it up and bury it and just live in the brain and be good in the brain. How many of y'all know that's what a Pharisee is? Pharisee is someone trying to be good in the brain. We don't have goodness in the brain. That's the place of the skull. That's where Satan's defeated, the place of the brain. We have goodness like a river. We have a river of goodness that's fully God and zero percent us. You know the difference? A mature one in Christ has fully divided 
the soul from the divinity of the river. Paul, a mature believer, right? He says, I know nothing good lives in me. He said there was zero goodness about him, his soul, his mind, his flesh, zero. There was zero goodness except the gift of the spirit that he had learned to channel through his body at a level of inerrant scripture. Because he knew how evil he was apart from the spirit because he was a murderer. He was a murderer of believers. He had a zeal in the flesh and when it was exposed as all the kingdom of hell, he received the rebuke and he acknowledged that he was a total child of the devil. That if, how can God and his divinity come through someone that murdered Christians, guys? Do you think the spirit and the blood of Jesus are able to work through flesh? That's what the miracle of the new covenant is. That your temple, despite all of its issues, despite being fallen DNA and having a reptilian nature of serpent DNA, which is the sin in the garden and the dust of the earth, crawling on the belly, which is walking on the surface of the earth instead of flying in the heavenlies as an angel of the resurrection. This is in everyone. The issue is who has demonstrated grace? Who has demonstrated the spirit superiority over the unrighteousness of man? Those are the ones exposing the works of the devil because all the devil has is deception and lies. And if you bring grace that exposes man's condition, the devil doesn't have anything to deceive you people with because now you're just clinging to grace and grace won't betray you grace is given to this planet as an eternal river and when you get a revelation it's always going to be there you can come and wash and that's how the animal parts of you fall off by the consistency of God's grace poured out through all the earth and that's what Revelation 7 is all about tonight hallelujah Amen. God's goodness is a river. Man's goodness is our measure of deception. After this, I saw four angels out of Messia stationed at the four corners of the earth, firmly holding back four winds of the earth so that no wind should blow on the earth or the sea or upon any tree. Then I saw a second angel coming up from the east, the rising of the sun and carrying the seal of the living God. And with a loud voice he called out the four angels who had been given authority and power to injure earth and sea. What does that sound like? Flesh and blood? You know, let's see. Your salt water blood? Earthen vessels with sea flowing through you? A lot of people been injured. You don't have to drive too far to find a graveyard. Saying, harm neither the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God upon their foreheads. <laughs> what saves you from inevitable death? The renewing of the mind. Hallelujah. That's the ultimate price that you pay through the threshing of your heart every day is a renewed mind, which is a mind baptized in liquid grace. A mind fortified through revelation in the river of life. That's someone that can't be shaken by any work of the devil or of man. That's where you're going in a rock solidness of your rock, which is your brain, 
under the waters of Jesus's grace towards you because he loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. And this is how you do it by just receiving grace that you don't earn and can't deserve. Amen. Jesus. That name means Yahweh saves. Jesus means Yahweh saves. He's saving us. Saved by grace. And what is the revelation of grace? What's the knowledge of grace? The glory. Grace is the power of the river of life, the power of the Holy Spirit. And He has given it to you. You are chosen and selected, every one of you, despite what the devil's saying in your brains. Sanctification is the enemy coming with fiery darts, usually to say you're not worthy. Who is? Are you kidding me? The lamb's worthy. Nobody's worthy. If you could be worthy, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross because you could have earned it through being good. Get a life, man. You are not worthy. Jesus is worthy to receive an inheritance of our undeserving souls. So what we do is we just keep receiving grace that we don't deserve. That's what renews our minds. That I'm saved by liquid substance. I didn't do anything right. There's no right in me. The right is the gift of God. Jesus is a gift of righteousness in us that we learn through experience to yield to. And he progressively conquers our personality, which is our souls. And that's what glorifies your souls is the constant conquering of grace towards the false appearances of being good in the soul. Amen. 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 Then I heard how many were sealed, (laughs) marked, out of every tribe of the sons of God. There were 144,000. A lot more than that. You could say that's Bob Jones' one billion soul harvest. Truth in you. 12,000 were sealed, marked of the tribe of Judah. 12,000 of the tribe of Reuben. You can study out the names of these tribes in the Passion Translation, and it goes into the revelation of each name, which is a progressive growth in sonship in your spirit. 12,000 of Gad. 12,000 of Asher. 12,000 of Naphtali, and there's power in in the names. Even if the brain doesn't know what it means, Christ in your spirit knows what it means, and that's what matters. Remember, this is about Christ rising in you, not you rising in you. When you rise in you, you manifest devils. When Christ rises in you, you go into heaven. This is not about you rising. This is about Jesus Christ in you, rising as you yield. 12,000 of Zebulun, 12,000 of Joseph, 12,000 of Benjamin. After this, I looked, and a vast host appeared, which no one could count, gathered out of every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. These stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, they were attired in white robes with palm branches in their hands, which is a reference to when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, which is how he rides into earth in his second coming. 
through purifying the flesh with an outpouring of his maturity through sanctified ones. And they wave palm branches, which is acknowledging the divinity pouring through man as it comes into the earth realm as manifest glory. That's Great Awakening. You know, Great Awakening is the awakening to God getting through man. Sleeping is not acknowledging Jesus inside man's spirit. That's when you sleep in the dirt, it's thinking that God's in the sky, pie in the sky, carrot on a stick ministry. That's what sleeping is, is externalism. It's the religion of the magic arts of the fallen angels. It's sleeping in an external Jesus. Sleeping in the dust of the earth. Many shall awaken from the dust of the earth. Daniel 12, it is written. Amen? So an awakening is an awakening to divinity in the spirit part of you. And then if you stay awake, it means that you have to progressively feed the spirit the counterfeit part of your soul. Otherwise, you go back to sleep, which is twice dead. Bewitch Galatians 3, 1 through 3. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Stay awake out there. Oh, no. <laughs> In a loud voice, they cried, saying, Our salvation is due to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. To them we owe our deliverance. Let's just say it out loud together. Deliverance. Oh, hallelujah. I was raised by the prophets in, in Christianity. And just a, always had a powerful prophetic witness in my whole life as a believer. And the prophets called this generation the, deli- the, gen- the generation of the end times deliverers. Isn't that great? There will be a deliverance for civilization, predestined and foreordained, and that's what you're being sanctified into. You know, we say, you can share in the part, in the divine nature, the Bible says, which means you can claim it in your soul if you know it's Jesus gifted in you. It's not claiming it as your own, which is self-righteousness and pride, it's that I'm a partaker of the divine nation, nature, which means you've taken the divinity of God as your own and you give him the glory. That's what the acknowledgement of the new covenant is. Amen. A lot of people are a little shy to do that, maybe because they're around enemies. But I'm telling you, partaking and sharing in the divine nature is something you need to get greedy in. That's an area where the Bible says lust after spiritual gifts. What's the greatest spiritual gift? Godliness. Lust after God in you. Which means desire it above all else. You have to usually get beat up through the school of hard knocks. A lot of people have to let that other stuff work out its death in the soul through externalism because we're, we're super deceived. That's also part of your growing process. You call it backslidden. I call it progress into the feast. Luke 15. That younger prodigal could have never got into the father's house hadn't he worked out his sin with fear and trembling. Had he got it out of his system. I don't, I, I don't recommend that, but it, it happens with most believers. And you go through it 
And at the end of the tunnel, you find the father, you kill the fattened calf, which means you're, you've, you've realized that the pleasures of sin are death. Paul did. If the apostle realized through experience, which is scripture, wisdom, that the end result of sin is death, how many of y'all know it's because Paul sinned unto death? He had the experience that there's nothing there. It's a dead end. It's deception. You have to come to an end of your dead end's deception. In the meantime, let wisdom stay with you. A lot of you are still dealing with the junk in your soul because you're deceived. You're going to work it out, but you work it out with God. Know that the Father is with you. He's not going to turn his back on you as you work out your salvation and deal with your, what does the Bible call it? The lust of your youth. David says, don't hold against me the foolishness, which is the word lust, of my younger days as a believer. Because you're deceived, and everyone is. Don't hold it against me. And God did not hold it against David because he made progress towards the Spirit, which is the heart of God, man after God's own heart, man after pleasing the Spirit. And the evidence of that is the Shulamite in his bed warming him as an old man. And the Bible says he never lusted after her because he had gone after God's heart. He had made progress his whole life. That's the success. The success of the great king in the Bible, where we get the messianic anointing. The prophecy of the Messiah is the working out of man's lust in your hearts and minds. And so false Christianity, appearance Christianity, doesn't make room for that. It's be perfect on the outside all the time. That ain't God. That's Satan and people pleasing and appearances. God is a threshing floor. God is getting it out and a place where there's understanding that it's in everyone. Amen. It doesn't condone sin, it works it out. Amen. Threshing gets the sin out. Amen. The temptation of the fallen angels is to be ashamed as you're being sanctified. I can't believe that was in there. It's in everyone. It's in everyone. They're fake. They're pretending that it's not in them. It's in everyone. All sin is common to all men, but God will provide a way out. What's the way out of all sin? Corinthians says threshing getting undignified getting out of the respectability letting the anointing work in your heart and it's not staying a mess it's getting cleaned up from the mess and becoming messianic hallelujah getting messed up in the anointing now the anointing is what's in me because I brought the whole animal as a sacrifice to the threshing floor and all kinds of stuff comes out that should disqualify you called a record of 6,000 years of sin in human DNA. You should totally be disqualified. Scandalous grace, scandalous mercy in action. You don't deserve to live in heaven in the glory. Look at all the record in the DNA with 200 million fallen angels surrounding the threshing floor of New Jerusalem. Look at all this sin coming out of you. You should be ashamed of your, yourself. You have married the lamb by accepting the process of the threshing floor. That is the evidence of your marriage certificate. If that mess is not coming out, there's zero evidence that you're married to Jesus Christ. You haven't even begun in sanctification to get the human out of the heart. For the morning star, the divine, to rise in the heart, 2 Peter 1.19, it is written. Amen. Amen. So a people that are going through the process of sanctification, 
the marriage supper of the lamb. How do you get in? It's a, it's a reference to Luke 15. You get in from the acknowledgement of the wheat fields of the Pharisees, the self-righteous of the soulish. The one gnashing his teeth out there was more wicked than the one spending his inheritance on crack, cocaine, and prostitutes. But the self-righteous hypocrite can't acknowledge that. It's out there judging and hating on grace and mercy towards the lust of the younger prodigal. You understand that? This one's full of the devil stronger devils, higher ranking devils. This one had the devils externally. This one had the devils internally, became his very character. The older prodigal had the devil on the inside. The younger prodigal says he was eating at the pig troughs on the outside, but on the inside, he returned to his father. You understand, it represents all humanity and the ones who get saved and the ones who are eternally damned. This represents, the older prodigal son represents eternal damnation of self-righteousness of that Judas Iscariot religious company. Truth anyhow, the salvation is only for the younger ones who have wrestled that stuff externally, but inwardly returned to the father and came home. That's all of us together. The bride together comes out of the whore of Babylon. The issue is we've come out of her, my people. And we've, we've changed our behavior because Christ has risen in her heart. I'm married to another. I'm married to Jesus now. And my temple is full of light. I can close my eyes and see the Shekinah glory blazing. And you need to be able to close your eyes. And through being married to the threshing floor, married to the sword of the spirit of the Garden of Eden, married to the realm of the cherubim angels, the Garden of Eden, and living in that realm, you can see the glory. What is seeing God? The pure in heart see God? What's a purified heart? Someone who's constantly been thrashed by receiving the rebuke unto death. It's a death blow. I die daily. How? By receiving a word that condemns this part of me. You can't be saved except through the condemnation of the animal, the burnt offering and the resurrection of the spirit. That's where salvation's for, the spirit, the father of spirits. What part of you is saved? Spirit. What The other part that's condemned goes under spirit and then becomes a partaker. But it has to be thoroughly condemned. There is condemnation for wickedness. And the practicing of the soul realm is the practicing of wickedness. Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Where's Christ? In you, the hope of realizing the glory. That means there's condemnation every other place where there's not Christ. Which means it's a realization that this is totally condemned to the death of Jesus, the baptism of death, and that's how it gets saved, through death. No one finds their life heart unless they lose their life heart. You find the heart of God, you must lose the heart of man and the heart of woman. If you haven't, you have not found Jesus and you're still lost as Christians. A lot of Christians lost out there. Super lost Christians everywhere. They think they're found. You believe in Jesus. Listen, finding him is different. 
This is the standard of the well of salvation. Let's get into it. Angels standing around the throne, round the elders, Revelation 7:11 of the heavenly Sanhedrin. They're here tonight. And the four living creatures, and they fell prostrate before the throne and worshiped God. Amen. So be it, they cried. Blessing and glory and majesty and splendor and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might be ascribed to our God to the ages of the ages forever and ever throughout the eternity of the eternities. Amen. So be it. Then addressing me, one of the elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin said, Who are these people clothed in the long white robes? And from where have they come? I replied, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. A great pressure. They've come out of the pressure of religion. That's what it is. They've come out of externalism. Tribulation means the pressure of externalism. These are the ones that have come out of all external pressures of the appearance to look good. That's exactly what it is. And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are now before the very throne of God. You understand this? What's overcoming Satan, the flesh, the world's sin? All you have to do is overcome the appearance of good. All you have to do is overcome the soul pretending to be Christian. That's it. That's all you overcome to be an overcomer. For this reason, they are now before the very throne of God and serve him day and night in his sanctuary, which means in the spirit, in the true goodness, in the river. That's in his sanctuary, in his temple, in his spirit. And he who is sitting upon the throne will protect and spread his tabernacle over and shelter them with his presence. When true goodness comes, that's the apostolic covering. That's the tabernacle of David. Do you know what the tabernacle of David is? This feast that the sons of God manifesting are fulfilling? It's the last feast to be fulfilled in the Bible. There's no feast after it. The the Feast of Tabernacles is the last one, which is man's spirit conquering man's soul. And when true goodness of man's spirit, which is growing in grace, conquers man's soul, false grace, false divinity, there becomes a covering. This is the covering of your spirit, the covering of your angel, the covering of the overcomers, the covering of a tabernacle, presence, and a shelter. This is what we're warring for, for spirit, love to cover a multitude. What's the multitude? Every single person on earth will be covered when your spirit overcomes. When you grow in grace, first to cover yourself. That's the long white linen we just read. They're covered in grace. They've risen from the dead by grace. Now, those long white linen representing the righteousness of the saints, which is the gift of grace. Not self-righteousness, Christ's righteousness given unto us as a gift that overflows through them. And it's those white garments that produces a white canopy of grace over the nations. For the accuser of the brethren can only work where there's not grace. Where there's not the law of grace, the law of the new covenant, the law of love. Where the testimony of Jesus and the sacrifice of his cross is not applied by the believer's spirit angelically, there the accuser of the brethren 
does his dirty deeds all day long, beating everybody up in the realm of the dead. <laughs> beating everybody up with accusation and condemnation and all kinds of inflammation <laughs> and degradation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of nasty words. <laughs> He's a terrible angel. We truly hate him, and that's why we go after it in the anointing, so that you can hate him with us. I have hated wickedness and loved righteousness, God's gift of grace, the righteousness of the Lamb. Therefore, God has given us the anointing without measure. This is a place of a river of anointing. It's not a mantle. It's a river. Mantles were in the Old Covenant. You can use them in symbolism today. But it's the river. The mantle is the river. The seven spirits of God is the river. Hallelujah. They're now before the throne. They brought and spread the tabernacle, the shelter of His presence. And they're no longer going to hunger, which means they're no longer going to eat from the tree of knowledge. There's no more idea in them of the ability of soul being righteous. When the white garments are complete on you, you're wearing the garments of grace, the whole religious curse of the fall of being good is dissolved in you. And it's just practicing the manifest glory as grace through your spirit and your sanctified hearts and minds. That's no longer hungering. Amen. And neither shall they thirst. You can't thirst at that degree of conducting the river of grace. And we're all growing in up, up in it together. You know, the problem is sin is being hungry and thirsty. And you, you leave God because we don't know him that well, because we lack revelation, and we try to fill the soul with stuff outside of the hunger and the feast prepared of what? The lamb. Marriage supper of the lamb. The feast of the lamb. Blessed are they who are invited to feast on the Lamb. Be satisfied in the heart and the soul. That doesn't happen at first. I've never seen a person just like, oh, yeah, and I've never done anything wrong after that. I only stay satisfied on the Lamb. You're full of crap. Totally full of crap. The sanctification threshing floor is all the stuff coming out of you until this level of maturity happens. This is what full spiritual stature is is when you no longer hunger and thirst. Meaning, the whole time, there was hunger and thirst. <clears throat> That's what the tree of knowledge is. Satisfying, for a lack of revelation, the hunger and thirst of our hearts. Nothing can satisfy that except the river of life, the Spirit of Jesus. You can try, you won't find any of it. It'll just burn up, it'll just all be deception be left empty inside instead of full because you've gone to the idolatrous realm of the natural and soulish temptation into the realm of the dead. You just feel more dead when you eat from that tree. But there's a tree of life that you feel more alive when you eat from it. The tree of life and the fruit on that tree are revelations of Jesus Christ. Each revelation causes you to be satisfied. That's what I was looking for. A light bulb goes on. That really hits the nail into the sin issue where I've been eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where I've been eating through from external spirits. Altars of demons, Paul calls them. 
You eat from these external trees instead of the tree of life within. It's hungering and thirsting because of a lack of revelation of how to eat and be satisfied on the spirit. You know what? It usually boils down to a lack of the revelation of the goodness of the father. Like the younger prodigal. I thought I'm going to be a slave. I don't want to be a slave, so I'd rather just have as much fun out here as I can before I actually clean my act up and become a boring adult Christian. A lot of people think that stuff. A lot of try to get the rebellion out in college and high school and have as much fun while you can. Because when you become a Christian, it's going to get boring and go to church. That ain't God, that's hell. That's the fallen angels deceiving you. you fun doesn't even begin until you start walking in the river being yoked to the river of life as master and all you do is have fun with God all the time in dealing with deception. One of the first promises after I started full-time ministry in 2006, the Holy Spirit said to me, the righteous have all the fun. And that's been my testimony for the last 16 years that following and obeying and being yoked to the real Spirit of Jesus Christ, as I always have been, has been total fun, thrilling excitement all along the way. It has been awesome. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Even all the mistakes and the sanctification, the stuff flying off the threshing floor, all of it is wonderful in the works of God towards recipients of salvation. With no fakeness or pretending, none of that. God doesn't have any of that in his nature. God loves the wildness. God doesn't care what people think. God just wants to have fun. God's a hedonist of his own pleasure. God's a hedonist. Garden of Eden means garden of pleasure. God just wants to have fun with you in a different dimension without darkness. Just pure light. But because of rampant deception, we don't have a grid for not thirsting or hungering in that dimension. That's why the feast is book 66, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Every day, eat as much revelation as you can. So you're not gonna be fully satisfied. You're not gonna thirst only on heaven. There'll be mixture for a time. There will be for everyone. That's what sanctification does. It gets the mixture of the human out to only experience the divine by hundredfold grace. Hundredfold glory, hundredfold grace. So my only experiences inside the temple is the spirit and the word of grace, which is the name of Jesus in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. Not the dead letter killing, not the dead letter shaming, not the dead letter accusing. Grace abounding as a river. Sanctification means grace abounds like a geyser through you. So all these bitter, evil people attacking us, what do you do? You, you cover them with grace. I pray for all of them sincerely to be successful. Amen. I've never been offended by my enemies attacking me. I always go to prayer and pour out the same grace given to my spirit because I know it's a legalistic thing in the soul of appearance and performance of why they got bitter and began attacking me. They only attack a greater grace they don't have revelation for. That's what the curse is. And that's why you pray for your enemies. Bless those that curse you. They don't have any revelation of the nature of Jesus Christ. So all they can do for a lack of revelation is manifest the enemy, which is religion at you. Because they're all messed up. And so the answer is you just water them. I cause my water to rain on the just 
those who have revelation and grace, and unjust, those without revelation. And you water everyone. Our only job is to grow in watering the garden, which is measurable amounts of grace coming out of our hearts. And that's what verse 17 is all about here. They don't hunger anymore. They don't thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun smite them. The sun smiting them is external goodness. Being good in natural light. It's what religion is. That's what Kabbalah and sorcery is, is the appearance of good through sunlight and starlight of wandering stars. And don't blame the sun. It's the fallen angels that manipulate light. Sun is not a fallen angel. The sun praises the Lord, Psalm says. Neither shall the sun smite them anymore, nor any scorching heat. Which means the natural conditions of religion don't have any part in the measure of grace they've grown up into. It's called perfected freedom. How do you be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect? You get as free in the grace of the Lord Jesus as this Bible is describing right now. And that's where you're going. That's your promised land. That's what you're going to spend the next several years growing up into through experiences. Verse 17, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. What are you being shepherded into? A greater grace. Amen? What is the Lamb? The Lamb means self-sacrifice. Okay. Lamb isn't just saying Jesus. It's saying the nature of him sacrificing for the Passover lamb to give you a substance that's going to help you. Amen. It's all about nature. It's the depth and understanding of the nature and the acts of God. The lamb who's in the midst of the throne will be your shepherd, which means he'll be constantly nurturing you with revelation and grace and helping you rise through the appearances. It's God's nature. He's always helping you. The Bible says, I will send a helper. You will always have this helper with you. And the helper is always greater than the lies of the enemy. And the lies of the enemy might get really loud But the comfort of your heart is that the helper, the paraclete, the one sent from God to help you overcome the spirit of truth, he's with you. He'll be in you, he'll be talking to you, and he'll be outside you as well. And he'll have angels, and the angels will be put to work by the spirit, who is God himself. Amen. They'll be doing it thousands of times before you're mature enough to see him and really understand this work around you. But they'll be working all the time. The Spirit works all the time. The angels are working all the time. The angels don't sleep. They're always working to help you. Ministering spirits, it is written. He will guide them, this great shepherd, to the springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, which is all the sorrows of the soul getting taken away by growing to this measure of the shepherd of your grace. He is shepherding you in grace. And that's how the tears or the sorrows of the soul and the inadequacies of the soul and the appearances of not being good enough in the soul get shepherded out of you to only be aware of Jesus and what he did to form himself in you. And we thank you, Father, for this work in everyone here in the name of Jesus Christ, that the voice of the bridegroom, that the voice of Jesus and his waters of grace 
would be the main influence in their hearts and in their minds and all the other temptations and distractions would be washed away from everyone today. I declare new beginnings on everyone. Fresh new start in the glory, in the spring, in grace, in revelation, in your Christian walk. Behold mercies new every morning. What's the throne of God called towards you? A mercy seat. As long as you keep going to it, guess what? He will always give you mercy because that's his nature. The issue is just being open to approach him like that younger prodigal all the time. I mean, you just, you might have to do it thousands of times. You're going to come to a place of the maturity of mercy, of how much mercy you needed. Now it's developed in you by going to him and not going to the enemy, not going to the spirit of shame, not going to the spirit of condemnation, not going to the demons, not going into the prisons of the fallen angels, but going to the mercy seat and finding mercy for your souls, and he will give you mercy. All it takes is going to him. Look at the prodigal son. All he had to do was make an effort of going and approaching his father when he wasn't quite sure, for lack of experience, the nature of the father, he got mercy. So will you. You'll be given mercy. God is merciful towards sinners. He takes delight in the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. He loves transforming your nature by revealing himself to you, but it takes you, like the younger prodigal, going to him. We go to him every day. We go to him so often that you can just always be aware of him because I've gone to him and his nature begins to be formed in you. And that distance gets shorter and shorter, which is the renewing of the mind to manifest his throne on the inside. Hallelujah. Until it's instantaneous. Hallelujah. I once heard a prophet say, the faster you find forgiveness, the more mature the believer. The faster, the longer it takes, the more immature, because you don't know the distance to the throne in you. But when you know the throne in you, it's instantaneous. And it's just like, it's like a fissure, a pillar of mercy, a mercy pillar to the mercy seat. Holding up the tent of God, holding up the tent of the marriage carriage of mercy and grace. Song of Solomon, it is written. It's holding up the nature of God in the spirit against all the deception in man's soul from fallen angels. And we will demonstrate this mercy. We will demonstrate this grace. We will cover the human race. We will clothe them in grace. We will clothe them with mercy. Even if they're unbelievers, we bring the realm of the mercy seat over their heads. That's the harvest of the nations. You come to them. You manifest over them. You be a spring of living water over their heads. I'm not saying come over here, go over there. We're coming to you. The sons of God are manifesting upon you. You won't even need to come to us. We're raining upon you with mercy and grace and living water and divine agape love and the blood of Jesus transfigured and glorified. Amen. And let everything that has breath in the garden drink it up and let their DNA be changed from sin to win with a great big grin. Because <laughs> you're going to get happy. The Lord visited the earth and intoxicated it, intoxicated its furrows, the low places, which means people are going to get drunk on pure white dove love raining from above. Amen. We're going to rain so much of the white dove from above because it's taken that much agape 
to sanctify us that'll just outpour upon everyone. They'll get drunk on love around us by the measure of mercy it took to raise us from the dead. That's what the substance of intoxication, that's the overflow of your ministry. It's the overflow of your mercy from God. It's the overflow of your grace from God. It's consistent with all the teachings of the scriptures. Thank you, Father, for it. For a people who overflow in grace and mercy in their spirit. With the soul completely clear with no additives of heart and mind. Just totally passive recipients like the inner court and outer court of the temple to the Holy of Holies within. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just an update. The outreach tomorrow. We had to go to the government of Kenya and get legal papers to do the outreach. And they said tomorrow's too soon. But next Saturday, the 24th, we have all the paperwork from the government of Kenya to do a massive outreach, which is an opportunity for another week of fundraising. Links in the description. If you want to remember the poor, you don't have to. It's a get to to participate with these works financially. Attach your seed to these works of the Holy Ghost and be blessed blessed as you give and your tithes, offerings, and remembrances of the poor. Three different categories of giving written in the New Testament, and you don't have to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But as the revelation of Jesus Christ opens your heart, you will respond with thankfulness and gratitude. God loves a cheerful giver who gives out of the revelation of being given so much mercy, of being given so much grace, of being given, given so much of a feast of the Word of God and the Spirit of God that I can't help but give. That's the cheerful giving of those that are transformed of soul by receiving so much through the royal priests from the priesthood who serves you the word and the water and the meat of the gospel every day. There's a gratitude. There's an overflow in the generosity. It's a glorious generosity. It's not a legal obligation. It's not an old covenant commandment. It's a new covenant get to. It's the spirit just overflowing in the abundance of the natural realm and directing it back towards the priests who are serving in the ministry. We just thank you, Father, for revelation and all of our people's giving and transformation in their souls so it's easy and light to be a cheerful giver and just let the finances flow through these givers by the grace gift of giving financial offerings into the apostolic ministry of Christ in Red Letter Ministries. Let there be revelations of giving, increases of giving, glory to glory in the giving, in the temple, in the demonstration of the kingdom, in Jesus mighty name and I pray a blessing over every giver that they prosper even as their spirit prospers according to the word of God amen bless you guys love you guys and we'll see you tomorrow <laughs> amen <laughs> glory <laughs>
song? A Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost Saloon. Joel's bar, right? Joel, did, right? In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. says butter and cream Job said this that God anointed my feet with butter and some versions say cream so I put them together and then it says and the rivers uh, the rock poured out rivers of oil for me so this is butter and cream and cream and butter well butter and cream and the cream and the butter and the butter and the cream and the cream and the butter butter and the cream and the cream and the butter for me and today well butter and cream and cream and butter butter and cream and Church. I'm talking sort of south now. Come on. So it's quite a bit faster. 